everyone and welcome back to Sip and Spin. My name is Skylar and over here in the cute little sweater is Brittany. Hello. This is a variety podcast where we talk about anything, everything, and nothing. Today maybe some nothing. <laughs> Why is that? Especially on my side. <laughs> but our topic was random. Yes, which this is one of our newer ones. Uh, we've only done it once before and it was a very random episode so i I have a feeling at least my topic is very random i can only imagine what yours is i used to know so yeah Uh, i also had to do a last minute topic change because the topic i was going to talk about i've been working on getting notes for it done for like a week and a half and uh i still was not able to finish them there's just so much information but i saved all of the notes i did and put a podcast episode future because <laughs> i'm gonna save them for next time future gigantic episode yeah future like g- ginormous episode it's gonna be a lot but did a last little minute topic change so everything from mine is basically just copy and pasted from the wikipedia article because i had like three hours fair enough so yeah maybe you'll learn something very random from us today and what are we drinking we are drinking a drink we like yes so what are you sipping on? So I'm having um, an Overstone uh, Sauvignon Blanc. And how that, we found out that I like this drink is because yesterday we had our little friends giving. And I went to go pick up a drink from the wine store that I always go to. And Charlie was just sitting there with a little table set up. And was doing like wine tastings. And he was like, here, try these. I was like, okay. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I will. I was like, I will. And I really like the Sauvignon Blanc. So that's what I bought. And... Had some last night. I'm going to have some again tonight. Yeah. I am having a gimlet, which I discovered I like this. Well, I mean, a gimlet. I've never had one until I made one for myself, but it's just gin, simple syrup, and lime juice. Mm. That's all it is. But no uh, I didn't quite know what it was. So yeah. I, was like... <laughs> I figured. It's more like a, I don't know if it's considered like a classy drink, but I have the recipe for it. From my Gilmore Girls cookbook, and it's an Emily Gilmore recipe, so mm. naturally we love her, and I like her gimlet recipe, so that is what I am drinking. In a glass that makes me nervous. Small cheers. Yes. Tart. Do you want to try it? I will. It's very lime and gin. Not for me. I didn't shake <laughs> here. I probably could have added a little bit more simple syrup, but I did go easy. Because I only made a little bit. It's not bad, but it's very, like, like yeah, puckering. Yeah, it's very tart, which I love tart things. So. Mm-hmm. But how are you? Other than your, your note fiasco. Yeah, other than that, uh, I'm good. I'm good. It's good. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I really feel like I don't have anything to add this week. So this is also, like, the third time I've seen you this week. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, I feel like I've heard everything already. <laughs> Yeah, last night was super fun. We had Friendsgiving, so I really enjoyed that. I always love partying with with these people here. <laughs> partying with the peeps. Partying with the peeps. <laughs> we just drink and ate and ate. talked. Listened to music that Brittany made a special playlist that had songs that all of our friends have mentioned or brought up or artists, and it was really, really sweet. I did. I thought it was nice. It was. It was very nice. And it was a good night. Good. And then I had yesterday off. Well, I got to leave early yesterday. And right. To, they gave me today off. And I also am not scheduled to work tomorrow. So I'm like, oh, hey, get it, girl. <laughs> the pieces are just falling into place. <laughs> I was like, it's been a pretty good week. <laughs> it was your birthday week. It was like the special power of your birthday. Like, yeah. Gave me a good week. Rubbed off on you. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I am good. I'm tired, mainly just from yesterday, uh, but I'm good, ultimately. Just just a little tired, but I'm going to push through. Uh, yeah. Through this yawn. Thank you for that. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> now, since I didn't get to spend your actual birthday day with you, how was it? Did you do anything fun? Um, no. No. My birthday was not a good day. Oh, no. <laughs> I just cried for most of it. Oh. And I was just very, it was just a down day. It was one of my depressed days. 
So I had to actually, like, cancel all my plans and... Maybe I'll do a birthday makeup day or something. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, no. I did not have a good time on my birthday. I, I took all the good vibes from I, your birthday yeah. for myself. I'm glad they worked out for someone, okay? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It was, I don't know. I was in a weird mood. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Yesterday was good. Today was And she didn't slow. cry yesterday. I didn't. You tried to make me cry. <laughs> okay, let's be fair. I did not try <laughs> to make her cry. No, she gave me a sweet card. And it almost made me cry. It's fine. <laughs> did you like the outside of the card, though? I, I did. I was like, the second girl. I saw it, I was like, that's why I kept saying, I was like, I'm so excited for you to get your card. I was like, I was like where is she going with this? And I was not <laughs> expecting Schmidt to be where you were going. So I liked that a lot. It was very cute. And then today I did my notes and uh, relearned about a topic that I learned about in art school that I think I blocked out because it's not fun. Okay. And there's going to be a weird beginning and you're going to be like, why did she learn about this in art school? Uh-huh. And then it'll make sense towards the end. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, had, that was an interesting afternoon. Is it more fun now to know? Uh... No. Okay. It's just, it's not a, it's just about a not great time in history, which I think, like, is most history. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought you meant it was, like, you hated learning about it, and I was like... (laughs) Oh, I mean, I hate that it happened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah. It's one of those things. Our topic may not be so different after all. Oh, really? Yeah, mine is an event... Okay. That was not so great as well. I I am interested how similar they are. Yeah. Mine came from a documentary that I watched like six months ago, so I couldn't even like do any extra information on the documentary because I watched it like when it first came yeah. out and I was like, it's been a hot minute. Huh. All right. I watched it back when it was still warm outside. <laughs> when it was still warm. Those and it days. It took like till 8 p.m. to get dark. Yeah. <laughs> it do be getting dark early. Okay, but I guess if there's nothing else, we should just get into it. Yeah, I don't have anything else to add. So I am going to talk about the fact... Okay, well, I've forgotten about this, and then with the resurgence, I don't know if you're on archaeology TikTok, but it pops up every now and then on mine. I can't can't say that I am. (laughs) Mainly because it's believed recently that they found Cleopatra's tomb. Oh, by okay. a female-led archaeologist, like, go girl, which is a big deal, and it's making waves because Cleopatra's always said, like, no man will ever find my tomb, mm-hmm. and a man didn't, a female possibly has. So that's very exciting. Very Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> but then, like, also around when all of that was happening, at another dig site, I think, or maybe very similar close by, they just discovered a, a mysterious queen that we that no one knew about so okay did we not learn anything from the mummy about digging up like people's resting places there's a lot of stuff going on there it's like oh that could be fun to talk about but it's still like ongoing so i don't know how much information would be yeah yeah since i'm also getting a lot of it from tiktok so that's already like a very quick medium that could be the extent of it for all Mm -hmm. i know but that made me remember another mummy thing from the past so we're gonna talk about Mummies is still kind of my topic, but specifically, there should be more mummies in the world, and I feel like a lot of people choose to forget when Europeans were just, like, eating mummies. Oh. So let's talk about that. Because that is a thing they did. Why? (laughs) I will tell you. Was it, like, the embalming stuff? I don't... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. Okay, so yes, we should have more mummies in the world. But, you know, mummies were used and very grossly abused in the Christian West, because of course they were. So Egyptian mummies have been traced back some 5,000 years, but they only started becoming available in Europe in medieval times. Why? Primarily because there was a belief that they had medicinal powers, like healing properties. This belief appears to have been uh, based loosely on the ancient Greeks' medical use of pitch or butamen. That's that's what this is where that's that's the basis of why we went to mummies. It's for that one ingredient. Great. I don't know what either of those are. <laughs> I'm not even sure if I'm saying I'm not even just say it. 
bitumen 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 i'm not sure but that is the substance uh it's a substance which oozed from the earth in persia and various other places in the middle east it was recorded by historians such as pliny the elder that this specific substance was used like a cure-all for a variety of medical things but it was supposed to be like extraordinarily versatile mm. so it could like they used it as a cure-all and so everyone with ibuprofen so everyone <laughs> wants obviously everyone wants this mm-hmm. substance hungover ibuprofen <laughs> yeah, I mean, cramping ibuprofen yeah. <laughs> Headache, so, ibuprofen. <laughs> it's essentially the same thing going on right here. It's kind of debated how the reputation of bitumen or bitumen somehow got associated with preserved Egyptian bodies. So it's kind of like convoluted where this connection came from. Could it just be like convenience? Well, based on some of the 12th century writings of, I am going to butcher this person's name, Abed El Latif. The general view is that the blackened appearance on some of the bodies, which was due to the aging of the embalming materials, was attributed to the use of bitumen being used to soak the bodies and their shrouds. So it's what the wrappings were, like, soaked in. Okay. So that's why. So I googled it. Okay. try and see if I could, like, find a pronunciation. Uh, It's asphalt. Okay, I did not see that, but I, I didn't Google that. I just yeah, asphalt, also known as bitumen, bitumen, bitumen is a sticky, black, highly viscous liquid or semi-solid form of petroleum. Well, now we know. So they were just soaking these people, <laughs> soaking in petroleum essentially. But and but uh, apparently it's a cure-all. People, please don't eat asphalt or drink petroleum. <laughs> but now that we, that's a fun little fact keep in the back of your brain now when i tell you all that's about to go down with this shit bitumen bitumen so like bitch yeah bitumen bitumen okay i never would have pronounced it like that yeah me either cool (laughs) i will try to remember that it's fine (laughs) so yeah so that bitumen or whatever is what they soaked the wrappings in and uh so therefore roads out of it it really is a versatile. I mean, it really can be is. used for anything. <laughs> They're not lying when they said it was versatile. So therefore, from all of that, it was believed that these bodies would then provide a much-needed alternative supply because I guess it was becoming increasingly a scarce substance at the time because they were, I guess, using it for everything. Mm-hmm. But they were like, "Hey, these bodies are wrapped in that. That's a good enough source." For this substance that we so desire. Oh no. Which I guess now it's probably not because we've found easier ways to like basically suck petroleum out of the ground. Yeah. But so. back then they wouldn't have had like oil rigs basically yeah, to be so able to do that. So it was it becoming been... really scarce. Yeah. yeah. So back then it would have been scarce and now it's a renewable resource. How the times have changed. <laughs> Latif himself claimed that the substance quote Found in the hollows of corpses in Egypt differs, but immaterially, from the original bitumen, quote, and where any difficulty arises in procuring the latter, it may be substituted in its stead, end quote. So that was his, like, good enough reasoning. You can't see the face I'm making, but it's a very <laughs> icky face. There are going to be some icky faces. I, I had some when I was, I was like, oh, God. Uh, again, I learned about this in art school. We're getting to why at the very end. Did you use that as like a medium or something? Not a medium, because did I? Medium's <laughs> what you what you paint on, right? Like a medium would be a canvas. No, medium is the type of thing you use. No, which it, like it? you can use it as both. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if you guys typically were like... when people are like, oh, what medium do you use? It's what like paint or okay. sculpture. That would be like the medium. Uh, but yeah, no. We learned about it because y'all were like using petroleum to like. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, <laughs> like, no, I learned about it in art history. So art history has a little fun thing with bitumen and mummies. Okay. Yay. So the Persian word for bitumen was mum or mamia. And then the variants of these words came to be applied to the bitumen that supposedly soaked the shrouded corpses. And then, of course, ultimately. These words began being applied to the preserved body themselves, and that is how we got the name mummy. 
Yeah, the second you said that, I went, oh, <laughs> I bet that's why they're called muffies. Yep. I would have never known that. <laughs> no, I, I didn't know that either. So that's, like, interesting, but, oh, God. So, despite legal restrictions, by the 16th century, exporting mummies from Egypt to Europe to be ground up and used as medicine was a big business. Yeah. No wonder um, you blocked this out. I would have <laughs> Yeah, it's rough. Um, Fagan described it as, quote, a flourishing trade in human flesh. And just, ick. That, I hate that quote so I much. I hate this. I mean, I hate all of this, but that quote, like, gave me, like, ugh. No, that's not how we describe dead bodies. <laughs> no, we shouldn't do anything like this to the dead. <sighs> so, Those collection... Poor corpses. I know, like, just let these people rest. Collection and distribution businesses... No wonder we have ghosts. <laughs> right. <laughs> we deserve it. Uh, were established, and many people began to trade in mummies. It just became this big, booming thing. Exporting complete bodies or packages of fragmented tissue from Cairo and Alexandria. Stop. So not even, like, sometimes just bits and pieces of bodies. They're like, this can be used as, this can cure your headache. Grind it up. I think I'll just stick to ibuprofen things. (laughs) (laughs) In his history of Egyptian mummies, Thomas Pettigrew states, quote, No sooner was it credited that mummy constituted an article of value in the practice of medicine than many speculators embarked in the trade. The tombs were sacked, and as many mummies as could be obtained were broken into pieces for the purpose of sale. Which is just so disrespectful. So horrible. Both locals and visitors were said to have dug up tombs and transported mummies to Cairo, and then they were, quote, sold for a trifle. So they, like, they were just sold not even for that much probably just this used to be people and yeah it's just horrible abdel latif wrote quote for half a dirham i purchased three heads filled with the substance so he just bought three heads for the bitumen a london merchant it's yeah it's very bad it's very disturbing we are people suck a london merchant john sanderson was an agent for the Turkey Company and was one of the traders at the time. He spent a year in Egypt and gave this account of his visit to the Memphis mummy pits in 1586. So I have a direct quote that's, I think, been translated, so it might be a little rough. Uh, Bear with me, because it's also got some crazy spelling. We were let down by ropes, as into a whale, with wax candles burning in our hands, and so walked upon the bodies of all sorts and sizes. They have no noisome smell at all. I think noticeable maybe is what that's supposed to be. No noticeable smell at all. I broke of all the parts of the bodies to see how the flesh was turned to drug and brought home divers' heads, hands, arms, and feet for a show. We brought also 600 pounds for the turkey company in pieces and brought into England in the Hercules. Together with a whole body, they are lapped in about a hundred double of cloth, which rotting and piling off, you may see the skin, flesh, fingers, and nails firm, altered black. One little hand I brought into England to show and presented it to my brother, who gave the same to a doctor in Oxford. And horrible quote. So that's one guy's like very detailed account of just what they did. They just dropped down into like on a rope and pick and pull bodies apart, essentially. I didn't like all sorts and sizes. I know. It's very bad. It's all so bad. You it doesn't get that better. I'm like hunched up. Yeah, Skylar <laughs> is like beetle positioning up. <laughs> like a little child in the corner. Like half hidden behind like my jacket. I'm like. I am sorry to say this is not going to any better. It's going to get much worse before oh, it gets any better. Other than being used for medical purposes, they were also just used as an attraction in and of themselves. So, more just absolute disrespect. In 1688, Samuel Pepys talked about how he went to a London dockside warehouse after a night of drinking to see a mummy before it was ground up. Quote, And so parted, I, having there seen a mummy in a merchant's warehouse there, all the middle of a man or woman's body, black and hard. I never saw any before, and therefore it pleased me much. 
though an ill sight. And he did give me a little bit and a bone of an arm, end quote. So people were, like, just all for this. Like, it didn't... It pleased me much. Like, it's just, like, disturbing. And when I was doing all my reading, more people were for this than against it. Oh, my God. Like, it's bad. <laughs> it's so bad. So, yeah, this person gave this guy, Samuel, a little piece of bone and mummy remnants such as that would commonly form parts of gentlemen's cabinet of curiosities at the time. So a visitor in 1639 described one small co- such collection that included items from, quote, two ribs of a whale, a pelican, the hand of a mermaid, and the hand of a mummy. It was like knickknacks for people. Just bits of someone's body. <laughs> it's horrible. And if this wasn't already just a complete abuse of human bodies, it somehow gets worse. So when genuine ancient mummies became too scarce or difficult to obtain, suppliers kept up with the increasing demand by resorting to using the corpses of condemned criminals. French physician Guy de la Fontaine, physician to the King of Navarre, investigated the mummy trade in Alexandria in 1564. When he looked into the stock of mummies held by the chief dealer there, he found that the supply was substantially augmented by preparing the bodies of the recently dead, often executed criminals or slaves, by treating them with bitumen and exposing them to the sun to produce the mummified tissue look, which was then sold as an authentic mummy. But they by no means were. So they not only stole people's actual mummified bodies they started just taking other corpses and basically fake mummifying them yeah since it was criminals and slaves probably just murdering them for product yeah at that point yep yeah because if they're you know executed criminals you can just back then you could just execute whoever you wanted to yeah it's it's gross i hate it here (laughs) (laughs) yeah When asked if one of the mummified persons had died of any horrible diseases, one merchant is quoted as replying that, quote, he cared not whence they came, whether they were old or young, male or female, or of what disease they had died, so long as he could obtain them when embalmed, no one could tell, end quote. So the merchants just didn't even care about anything. It's like, just as long as I get my profit. Even non-human remains were used. Mummified... Children sometimes turned out to be mummified. I forgot how you say this. Abizis, which is like a large wading bird common in Egypt. And counterfeit mummies could also include the flesh of camels. So they weren't even always human at this point anymore. The demand was so high. They're just making counterfeit mummies. Oh my god. It's crazy. So now all of that awfulness was discussed. How exactly were they used medically? Let's talk about it. So typically, it was the ground-up body or body parts that was made into a powder and was topically rubbed on or mixed into drinks to swallow. So people were really just out there eating dead bodies uh, for a good amount of time. The medical benefits were proclaimed in standard medical practices, and it was extensively promoted by physicians, apothecaries, and barber surgeons. So, like... The medical people were out there promoting this shit. Oh my god. They were, like, all for it. By the 16th and 17th centuries, it had become one of the most common drugs found in the apothecary shops of Europe. So it was the ibuprofen of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of the most distinguished physicians and scientists of the time were advocates for it. Francis Bacon claimed that it was, quote, one of the useful medicines commended Commended and given by our physicians for falls and bruises. Shakespeare's son-in-law, physician John Hall, treated a case of epilepsy by burning, quote, a mixture of the aromatic resin benzoc, ben, or benziac, I can't even remember how to say it, powdered mummy, black pitch, and juice of rue. It's reported that Francois I of France always carried a pouch or purse containing a mixture of mummy and pulverized rhubarb because... He, quote, fearing no accident if he had but a little of that got him, end quote. So it just, like, made him feel better just to carry it around. Didn't even need it. Need it. Not like anyone needed any of this. Catherine uh, de Menesini or de Michi 
even sent her chaplain in e to Egypt in 1549 to procure some. So everyone was just out here wanting this. Mm -hmm. Mummy was still being enthusiastically prescribed for ail ailments well into the 18th century. So it stuck around for a long time. With a range of mummy, either being just the head, heart, fat, skin, or bones. And then it was used to treat, like I said, a range of things. For example, some of the common stuff was coagulated blood, pungent pains of the spleen, cough, difficult labor, easing of pain, joint issues, dysentery, epilepsy, and a whole lot more. So they just used it for everything because they yeah. didn't know what the fuck they were doing. No. 16th century, century Swiss-German medical reformer, this guy's the crackhead, Paracelsus, I'm not even sure, considered that when we eat the flesh of an animal, we also tracked that animal's special qualities. So, this way of thinking led to him fostering the belief that mummies contained a mysterious life force that could be transferred to a sufferer to aid them in recovery. And this guy was a legit medical practitioner. Uh, so he thought, hey, if we eat these mummies, their life force saves us. And he grew quite a following, and this was a long-held belief of the time. People can just say shit, and people <laughs> will listen. I can't believe it. So, when ancient mummies started becoming scarce, this guy could be called in to aid the, to support the view that the newer bodies could be used just as well, or even better. So they were also able to use this guy's way of thinking to make it seem alright that they were killing these newer people to use for this practice, because, oh yeah, a newer life force is stronger. It's gonna help you more. It was a bad shirt, technically. Because apparently this guy, he favored the use of more or less fresh corpses anyway. Quote, if doctors were aware of the power of this substance, no body would be left on the gibbet for more than three days, he oh insisted. I would like to put it on the record now. Like, I just think this guy was a cannibal. Yeah. And he wanted everyone else to be cannibals. <laughs> that's, that's what it sounds like. That's all I think about this dude. But wait, it gets worse. Oh, no. You know you can, like, actually get, like, from eating human flesh, like, there's this disease, I think it's called, it's either called Kuru or Kufu or Kuvu, something like that, and from eating human flesh, you basically, like, go mad for a little bit, and then, um, your body starts to deteriorate, and your muscles start to deteriorate, and you just live in a comatose state for six months before you die because of eating human flesh. I mean, I, I would imagine you could get a lot of things wrong with you from eating human flesh, well, but I like have heard of that. Yeah. I was like, I, I did a, we had to pick like a, for my eighth grade biology class, we had to like pick a, a non-common disease or like an, a, a disease that people don't hear of and like do a report on it. Yeah. And I ended up doing a report on it. And that's what you picked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How we've come full circle. Well, it's because uh, I googled uh, diseases that people don't hear of a lot, and it was the first one, so I was like, alright. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. But it has never left my brain because it scarred me that much. Like, I was like, learning about that was horrifying. I mean, I guess now you will never be tempted to try human flesh. I never was before <laughs> then. It was never something I was like, hmm, just maybe. <laughs> Well, apparently the same sentiments were not shared in the 16th and 17th and 18th centuries. I would probably be burned at the stake if I was like, hey, y'all, maybe don't eat human flesh. They'd be like, you're a witch. What's not? <laughs> so yeah, it gets worse from this guy. Johann Schroeder was a German chemist and a follower of Paracelsus or whatever you say his name. And he took his beliefs even further, or at least he was more specific. He recommended, quote, the cadaver of a reddish man, because in such a man, the blood is believed lighter and so the flesh is better, whole, fresh, without blemish, around 24 years old, dead of a violent death, not illness, exposed to the moon's rays for one day and night. So he had a whole fucking checklist that he needed for his flesh intake. Just, everyone just wanted to be a cannibal. This flesh would then be treated so that, quote, it comes to resemble smoke-cured meat without any stench. Stop! <laughs> it's so bad. No! Um, you're not gonna like this part either. Other authorities, and we knew it had to go this way at some point, right, ascribed particular virtue to the bodies of pure young women. Oh, of course they did. According to early 17th century physician Pietro Delavelle, 
the best mummy was to be derived, quote, from the maidens and the bodies of virgins. Of course, we had to go there, like I said. This was a view that was still held, or still held by Jean-Baptiste de Roquefort in 1824. So, that Really, Jean-Baptiste? Really? Great. Okay, but not everyone was on the Let's Eat Mummies hype train, so okay, now we'll, good. we'll get into some of the naysayers there. Uh, Egyptian merchants who exported the mummy to Europe, they always, like, quoted multiple times, marveling that Christians, quote, so dainty mouthed could eat the bodies of the dead, which I love the little shade they were throwing. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so they were like, "This is weird, but we're making money." And many in Europe also shared this kind of like distaste for it. So in 1658, the philosopher Sir Thomas Brown commented that, "Quote: Surely such diet is dismal vampirism, and exceeds in horror the black banquet of Domitian, right?" Not to be paralleled except in those Arabian feasts wherein ghouls feed horribly. End quote. So he's just comparing everyone to ghouls and demons and vampires, which, like, fair. Yeah, that makes sense. That checks out. <laughs> yeah. References to mummy and literature of the time were often ghoulish or critical, treating it in distaste. For example, in Macbeth, Shakespeare mentions it where the three witches add witches' mummy to their cauldron of horrors. In The Merry Wives of Windsor, Falstaff fears being drowned, for the water swells a man, and what a thing should I have been when I had been swelled. I should have been a mountain of mummy. In the poem Love's Alchemy, John Donne describes women as, quote, but mummy possessed. Which, like, not cute, John. Also, I love how Shakespeare was like, maybe don't eat mummies. Meanwhile, his son son in law -law was like... <laughs> I use it for treating people's epilepsy, and I'm like, I'm sure Shakespeare was not a fan of this. <laughs> Some physicians also shared distaste for the use of mummy medically. Leonard, well, good. At least so, there are some, some scientists. Some, here. not all. Leonhard Fuchs, or however, regarded mummy as disreputable. He is like not saying it. Physician Ambrose Parr claimed that it had no beneficial effects, so he was on the side of thinking like it was bullshit like no this is mm-hmm. true um and there were a few others but even so the use of mummy medicine persisted and subsided quite slowly and really only because of medical advances so even though there were some people who were like no there were more that were like yes and they probably still would have continued if we thankfully i mean we did but if we didn't evolve any medically it'd probably still be passing it out Oh, God. So, that's fun to think about. Its clinical use declined substantially from the 18th century onwards. However, in 1973, a New York shop was offering witches' supplies and supposedly had powdered mummy for sale in their shop. And that was in the 70s. Mm. So, yeah. Good. Very good. Very good. Uh, the decline of the medical use doesn't mean the abuse stopped there, though. Since they had no problem ingesting mummy, it's not really a shock that they also painted with mummy, which now Mm. this is how I learned about it. So mummy brown was a rich brown pigment made from the flesh of mummies mixed with white pitch and myrrh. It was also known as Egyptian brown. So this is a pigment. Mummy brown was available right up into the 20th century. So Mm. not that long. Past the 1900s. Yep. It's hard to find specific documented accounts of the paint being used in, like, which specific works, like, a famous paintings have Mummy Brown in it. But there's a general acceptance in the art world that Mummy Brown was being commonly used by artists from the 16th century. So no one can really prove it, mm-hmm. but there's big speculation on certain pieces, which I didn't list just because I don't think anyone else is, like, art history nerdy like I am and would know based off a title of a painting. Because it was, after all, a brown pigment with good transparency, so it was really easily used as an oil paint and watercolor pigment. So it was Mm. versatile, much like when it was used medically, is because it was versatile. So it was used for glazing, shadows, flesh tones, and for shading, etc. The pigment achieved its greatest popularity in the mid-18th to 19th centuries and was described as being quite in vogue in 1849. So, it was just, like, the hip thing, which is gross. It was a favorite shade of the pre-Raphaelites, 
Again, we don't know for sure which piece has used it, but artists Eugene Delacroix, Sir William Beachley, and Edward Byrne Jones are all recorded as legit having purchased it. So, good chance that their works of the time have a mummy in it. These are people's bodies. Yep. From the blog, uh, Symbiotic, which I think is a fun name, Gledon Mello explains that the brown was good for mixing and fell somewhere between raw umbers, nearly green brown, and burnt umbers, ruddy tone. So, quote, the pigment itself wasn't easily imitated. It wasn't just made of regular, long-dried-out corpses. The mummification process involved bitumen, often in place of the removed organs. Mummy brown was a fugitive color, meaning it faded easily. While it was easy for 19th century painters to give up using it due to ick, it was still manufactured long after. That practice didn't end until the 1960s, when paint companies more or less ran out. End quote. So that's the only reason Mummy Brown went out. It's just literally because the company that made it ran out. I'll get to that at the end. British chemist and painter Arthur Herbert Church claimed that just one mummy could be used to create 20 years worth of paint. The paint began to fall out of popularity with the pre-Raphaelites when artists became aware. So a lot of artists, to be fair to them, they didn't know the origins. They just thought it was a cute little title to describe mm-hmm. the paint color. And so I mentioned above Edward Burton Jones as being a legit purchaser. So when he discovered the pigment's origin, he was quite disturbed. His wife um, is quoted as this recording of when her husband discovered the origins. So, quote, Edward scouted, which is scornfully rejected, the idea of the pigment having anything to do with a mummy. Said the name must be only borrowed to describe a particular shade of brown. But when assured that it was actually compounded of real mummy, he left us at once, hastened to the studio, and, returning with the only tube he had, insisted on our giving it decent burial there and then. So a hole was bored in the green grass at our feet, and we all watched it put safely in, and the spot was marked by one of the girls planting a daisy root above it. End quote. Mm. So he at least was like, no, we have to bury this. This is yeah. a body. We need to put it to rest, which I thought was at least very yeah. nice of him. That's, that's good. Um, because, again, I imagine most artists either weren't aware of it, but then I know because artists are freaks. Some of them probably liked it even more for the reason. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't win them all there. But he was at least a good dude about it. In 1964, like I said, the manufacturer who made Mummy Brown reportedly ran out of mummies to grind up. The managing director had this to say about it. Quote, We might have a few odd limbs lying around somewhere, but not enough to make any more paint. We sold our last complete mummy some years ago. Perhaps we shouldn't have. We certainly can't get any more. End quote. That was his very cavalier and all shucksy doodles. Oh my god. Quote about it. So, even in 1964, this man was still like, yeah, we'd keep fucking going if I got some limbs laying around, but not enough to make a paint. But I sure would if I could. Atrocious. That is disgusting. So yeah, we should have a lot more mummies in the fucking world, but Europeans decided to eat them and paint with them. That's my segment. <laughs> Isn't that a fun, fun tidbit of history? Reason to hate Europe. <laughs> <laughs> how did humans survive? Like, how are we here today? I don't. Why did humans not die off forever ago? They did stupid shit. So yeah, there was just casual cannibalism. Yeah, Back that in everyone the was supporting. Century. They were like, yes, this is the move. Even Doctor. Like, no one had an issue with it, so <sighs> if you need a fun fact throughout at parties, there you go, kids. Casual cannibalism was a vogue hip thing. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing, but thank God that that's over. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I was quite happy. I There were a lot more notes I could have taken, but I was like, I gotta pick and choose, man. <laughs> Whew, it, was, it was very disturbing. That truly was random. <laughs> right? And ours are very different. <laughs> oh, okay, darn. No more <laughs> cannibalism in yours. No. Okay. Fair enough. No, ours are very, very different. Mine is still, like, uh, not a great event that happened, but mine is also a lot more recent. Oh, okay. Not, like, super topical, but it is exactly 23 years old. Okay. Because I am 23 years old. Yeah. The tragic event was me. Oh. 
Okay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, we're talking about Woodstock 99. Ah, okay. So, like I said, I watched a documentary on this, like, a long time ago. Um, yes, like, I watched that in yeah. Myrtle Beach. <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about we it. We did. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, that's a crazy time, too. Oh, yes, it definitely was. I'm surprised there wasn't casual cannibalism there. There might have been. Who there knows? could have been. We we don't know. It seemed like it was getting to that point. It very well could have with <laughs> how expensive everything was there right? to get, like, food and drink. Like, I mean, I'm... even I might be tempted. I don't know. <laughs> Woodstock 99, or Woodstock 1999, was a music festival held from July 22nd to July 25th, 1999, in Rome, New York. After Woodstock 94, it was the second large-scale music festival that attempted to um, emulate the original 1969 Woodstock Festival. Mm -hmm. Like the previous festivals, it was held in upstate New York, but this time it was held at the former Griffiths Air Force Base, um, which was about 100 miles from the original Woodstock site. And the attendance was approximately 220,000 over four days. So Michael Lang, who was one of the original co-founders of Woodstock, agreed to part- partner with John Scher, who was a New Jersey um, concert promoter. So they were the ones who teamed up to kind of get Woodstock 99 going. Mm-hmm. Performers included DMX, Limp Biscuit, Corn, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Alanis Morissette, Kid Rock, Metallica, and Creed, and many, many more. Mm-hmm. Uh, While no groups that performed at the original Woodstock Festival were at Woodstock 99, there were individuals who did. So, like, even, like, bands that performed in 1969 did not perform in 1999, but, like, individual members of some of the bands that performed in 69 did come to perform at 99. Um, One of those being uh, John Entwistle of The Who uh, performed a solo set and... Then Mickey Hart, the drummer of Grateful Dead. I almost wore my Grateful Dead shirt today, but I instead wore my Beatles shirt just because I think my Grateful Dead shirt is in the laundry basket. Are you a Grateful Dead fan? Uh-huh. Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> there was a Grateful Dead pint night on Wednesday, and I went to it, and I would have asked you to come. <laughs> oh my god, I would have loved that. There, oh my god, you might have loved it because there was a peach sour Grateful <gasps> Dead themed drink. Like, there was a... It was Goodwood Brewing. They had three specific Grateful Dead themed drinks, and it was just the brewery was playing Grateful Dead. Everyone was wearing tie dye shirts. Like, I didn't know you were a fan. Yeah, I have. Okay, so I have a. <laughs> you could have gotten a limited glass. Oh, <laughs> they gave away free glassware, which we didn't go early enough to get a glass, or I would give you the glass yeah. if I had it, but I didn't. My um, Grateful Dead shirt is a brown and white tie dye. And then it has, like, you know, the desert scene with the cactus and, like, says the Grateful Dead, Grateful Dead on it. And it's, but it's still, like, uh, like tan and white tie-dye. Yeah. And I'm like, I almost wore that today, but I think it was in the laundry because I, I think I wore know. it early. I think I actually wore it to work on Wednesday. Oh, wow. Which is hilarious because I, I was like, it's in the laundry because I wore it to work this week. But I think it was on Wednesday. Subconsciously, you knew. <laughs> I, I, I was like, I sensed Grateful Dead like in the universe. in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I just feel it. Hey, <laughs> nice. Skylar was a deadhead. But played with his band, Planet Drum. And then Jeff Beck was scheduled to perform but had to cancel due to a scheduling uh, conflict. And he had been scheduled to perform at the original Woodstock Festival. But his Jeff, his band, the Jeff Bre- Jeff Beck group broke up the week before the Woodstock 69 festival. Yikes. (laughs) The Doors rejected an offer to play at the first Woodstock, but their guitarist Robbie Krieger was a surprise addition to Creed's set um, after he was invited to perform Roadhouse Blues with Creed. Hmm. Have you heard the Creed baseball song? There's a Creed baseball song? (laughs) There's a Creed baseball song. Okay. Is it like a song about baseball or is it like played at baseball games no it's a song they wrote for like a baseball team like that is this baseball team song what team i can't even fucking remember <laughs> but it is fucking hilarious and why <laughs> and it's so funny because i don't think creed knows anything about baseball because they just threw random baseball terms in the song with balls wide open <laughs> that's Basically what it is. Okay. So it's for the Marlins. The song is called Marlins Will Soar. (laughs) Of course it fucking is. It's Creed. 
Oh my god. I just want to play some of it for you. It's just baseball terms. Literally, like, had a hat. And they're like, which one next? Which one next? Literally, why? I also, I love, I like to think now, it's, I have a new head canon, that they were not asked to do this. I think it was just they asked if they could. No, not even that. I like to think that they just did this one night and then they presented it to the team and they were like, this is for you. And even the team doesn't know what the fuck is happening. That is my new head canon and I'm sticking by it. No one tell me differently. It's so funny. It's just. Oh, I hope I hope the Marlins continue to soar. <laughs> I really do. That's the most random shit I can think. Of. Welcome it's, to the random episode. If there's one thing I have random obscure knowledge obscure knowledge of, it's just like rock bands. <laughs> like, and of course, it was fucking Creed of all bands it could be. It wouldn't be anyone else. No. Like I could not picture anyone else no. doing this. But if if. If, like, I hadn't known this and you had presented this information to me, we was like, yeah, Creed did this, I'd be like, that, that doesn't fucking surprise me. <laughs> that makes sense. Oh, my God. Amazing. <laughs> I'll play that at my wedding. <coughs> Are you okay? I just choked. <laughs> okay. Glad we got our laughs out of the way, because it's, it's, it's going to get bad here Yeah, soon. yeah, I know. So that was nice while it lasted. It was nice while it lasted. Good thing we've got Creed to bring in a couple laughs. For <laughs> levity. Who knew? <laughs> uh, who knew Creed would be the comedic relief of the episode? Much like the rock world, they are the comedic relief there too. <laughs> they are. The festival was held on the east side of Rome at the former Griffins Air Force Base. So the U.S. Air Force had closed the B-52 base four years earlier in 1995, and it was converted into like a business and technology park. The promoters wanted to avoid the gate crashing that occurred at previous festivals of like people who didn't have tickets like breaking into the concert and like getting to attend the festival free. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were like do it on an air force base because they basically said that the site was defensible thinking that the 12 foot plywood and ply, plywood plywood <laughs> and steel fence would keep those without tickets out now attendees actually broke through the 100 foot section of this peace wall of the plywood and the steel 12 foot fence um on saturday night when they were not trying to break into the festival they were trying to escape they wanted to fucking leave Along with the fence, around 500 New York State police troopers were planning to provide additional security against against gate crashers. Um, In addition to two main stages, secondary venues were available. These included several alternate stages, a nighttime rave tent, and a film festival sponsored by the Independent Film Channel held in a former airplane hangar. But the festival was not all it it was advertised to be. Um, In fact, it was a horrific time. It was horrible and awful, and it sucked. It's the OG Fire Festival. Yeah. <laughs> Which is another thing we should talk about someday. Oh, yeah. I've been meaning to watch that documentary, like the fire Which party one? that never there's, happened. There's a few. There's a few. They're all really good, actually. Yeah. I would recommend watching them all, but that oh, was fucking bananas. Yeah, it is on my list to watch. I just have not gotten to it yet. I think Hulu has one, and I think Netflix has one. I know about the Netflix They're one. Both. That's, that's the one that's on my list. They're both really good. Okay. Oppressive heat and difficult environment conditions um, basically set the tone for the rest of the festival from day one. The site included large areas of of concrete and asphalt because it was a fucking Air Force base. Horrible from this Um, So it basically made the entire concert that was in the Air Force base like its own heat island because all the heat would like, the temperatures would rise during the day because it would reflect off the asphalt and then it would keep them elevated at night just cooking everyone yeah essentially and because it was also an air force base uh, there it wasn't like out in a field where there were trees and grass it was hot awful already that'd be a big note for me because i hate being hot more than anything else yeah i can stand like being out in the cold like i can you can bundle up you can't take off your skin yeah when when you're overheating Ugh, i hate heat stroke is no fucking joke the east and west stages were 2.3 miles apart, um, which would make the people at the festival walk across uh, two miles of just hot concrete. Right, which is fair for a music festival, but with trees yeah, and, and grass. grass. Like most music festivals, you you get are... a good ass workout at a music festival. Yeah, this but you, like get a to, you get to walk on like 
open field you get to lay grass. in some nice ass grass you can put a, a picnic blanket it's down great. and there's just like it's just an open field of grass this was just concrete oh, yeah. and asphalt um and the few grassy areas that were there um were not enough for like campers to all set up their tents and some people actually had to camp on the asphalt Oh, oh, yeah. I kind of forgot about the whole camping aspect. Uh, food and water sold on site by the vendors were uh, ridiculously expensive. I think, if I remember correctly, it was like $12 for say, a water bottle. I was say, I think towards the end, Saturday night, I think it got up to $12. Yeah. It started out at like 6 or 8 which mm-hmm. was already crazy. $12 for like bottled water. Yeah. Stupid. Or like uh, some um, some festivals or like events like that. Pay $20 for a cup and you can, like, get free refills yeah. at any of the vendors. Which yeah. is, like, makes a lot of sense. Like, chill out. $20, you get this cup and it's unlimited throughout the rest of the your time at the festival. Which, I mean, a lot of concerts and festivals, yes, they do overcharge on food and water. But this one, it's so atrocious because but it was... not like this. Not like this. And also, it became, like, a, a necessity, necessity for people. that Because they were dying of heat. Like, mm-hmm. It sh- they should have just been giving that shit out for free. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, yeah, it was just a chaotic Yeah, once they realized, like, how awful it was for everyone yeah. there, they should have just been like, hey, you know what? Like, just take, take it. Take the water. It's not, it's not even like it was alcohol. It was water. People yeah. Were it wanting. was water. Yeah. So, as an alternative, people at the festival would either have to, like, they would either walk or, like, travel via looping buses that were, like, packed full to Rome's, like, shopping areas. And all of the stores had, like, long lines and low stocks, so even that didn't work. Yeah. And then people would stand in long lines to access the few free water fountains there were, because there were only a couple, Mm -hmm. until frustration led a few of the people to break the pipes to uh, to provide water to those in the middle of the line, um, which created mud pits on the site. And then the number of toilets installed was ratioed incorrectly for the number of attendees. There weren't enough like set up toilets and showers and porta potties. There just weren't enough. Yeah. Um and so they were unusable and overflowing and the combination of the broken water pipes with the mud pits Ugh. and the overflowing toilets resulted in cases of trench mouth and trench foot with Ugh. a lot of the festival goers. Yeah. Um and then this, we're going to get into a trigger warning for sexual assault and rape. During the Offspring's performance, singer Dexter Holland complained to the crowd about seeing a woman in the audience getting groped by other people in the audience, um, as did Red Hot Chili Peppers bassist Flea during their set. At least five rapes and numerous other sexual assaults and harassment were reported to the authorities. Eyewitness reports, uh, eyewitnesses reported a crowd-sucking crowd surfing woman being pulled down into the crowd and assaulted in the mosh pit during Limp Biscuit set. During the post-stage rave on Saturday night, um, a man stole and drove a truck into the rave hangar during Fatboy Slim's set. Um, staff reported seeing a teenager being raped in the back of the truck while attempting to remove it from the hangar area. A volunteer also reported seeing a woman being gang raped during the corn performance. So, uh, it was awful. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there was so much more than oh, five. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff that went unreported yeah. or just unnoticed because of everything else going on. Horror. Violence and vandalism also occurred during and after the Saturday night performance by Limp Biscuit. Um, this included fans tearing plywood from the walls during a performance of the song Break Stuff. And then a man, a man named David DeRosia collapsed in the mosh pit during Metallica's performance. Concert medical staff initially tried to treat his symptoms, which were seizures and what doctors suspected to be a drug overdose. DeRosia was transported to the Air Force Base Medical Center and was then airlifted to the University Hospital in Syracuse. A little more than an hour after he had collapsed, his body temperature was at 107 degrees Fahrenheit. The following afternoon, he was in a coma, and a doctor diagnosed him with hypothermia secondary to heat stroke. Jeez. After being in a coma for another day, DeRosia died at 12.09 p.m. on Monday, July 26th. <sighs> the autopsy report ruled the death as accidental and listed the cause of death to be hypothermia along with an enlarged heart and obesity. Um, but I just, it was hypothermia secondary to heat stroke. He, yeah. I mean, horrible location for, mm-hmm. yeah, Ugh. just negligent. It was. Yeah. It was just negligent on everyone who was setting Involved. up. Yeah, setting it up and planning it. And... Yeah, they did not do enough to 
yeah. account for all the people that were going to be there. Nor did they pick a good location. It was just bad everywhere. And then they like, fucked up. And then you know, as you saw in the documentary, when it got the shit was hit in the fan, no one cared. Mm-mm. That was the other thing. In 2001, DeRosia's mother filed a lawsuit in the New York Supreme Court against the promoters of Woodstock 99 and six doctors who worked at the event with the lawsuit stating that DeRosia died because concert promoters were negligent by not providing enough fresh water and adequate medical care for 400,000 attendees, which is true. Yes, absolutely. Two other deaths were reported during the festival. A 44-year-old had succumbed to the heat on Friday, um, and he had also been an attendee of the Woods- of Woodstock 69, um, which he probably, in 69, had a great fucking time. Yeah. Expected to go back this time to also have Relive. a great fucking time, um, and instead he died. died because of the heat. It's horrible. And then a 20-year-old woman was hit by a car while walking along the road when leaving the concert. Violence escalated during the final night of the concert as the Red Hot Chili Peppers performed on the East Stage and Megadeth performed on the West Stage. A group of peace promoters led by the anti-gun violence organization PAX, later renamed the Center to Prevent Youth Violence, had distributed candles to those stopping at their booth during the day, um, intending them for a candlelight vigil to be held during the Chili Peppers' performance of the song Under the Bridge. Mm -hmm. bad idea to have fire at a festival yeah and it it that's what happens it ended up being a very bad idea mm-hmm. during the band set the crowd began to light the candles um with some also using candles and lighters to start bonfires um yep yep hundreds of empty plastic water bottles had were like everywhere and used as fuel for the fire which had spread to both stages by the end of the performances after the band had finished their main set. The audience was informed about a bit of a problem. Um, an audio tower had caught fire and the fire department was called to extinguish it. But did they? The fire the escalated into violence and vandalism, resulting in the intervention of riot control squads. ATM, and then also ATMs and several semi-tractor trailers were looted and destroyed while the fires were happening. And wasn't it like the firefighters on hand that the festival had... They, like, refused to go, right? Mm-hmm. They, like, they just yeah. refused to go put out these fires, do their no. job, because they were scared of this fucking crowd. Mm-hmm. Which, it's a bad idea to give candles to people who are already pissed yeah, at the situation. At this and... point, they are Because it's, it's dirty, Saturday night. It's... They're gross. They're burnt to shit. They're hot. They're dehydrated. They are angry. And you give them fire? Not a good idea. No, yeah, because this was, like... Saturday night, like yeah, and it was just our everyone. No one wanted to be there anymore. And the the festival had firefighters hired for the event, and they just they refused to go. They were like, "We're not going out in that crowd." Yeah, the fires didn't get pulled out until like almost sunrise the next morning. Yeah, it was truly chaos. Yeah, and there were many large and high bonfires burning before the band left the stage. Yeah. Um, Participants danced in circles around the fires, looking for more fuel. Um, they tore off plywood panels from the security perimeter fence. ATMs were tipped over and broken into trailers full of merchandise and equipment were forced open and burglarized, and abandoned vendor booths were turned over and set on fire. Approximately $22,000 was robbed from the ATMs. By 11.45 p.m., a large force of 500 to 700 New York State police troopers, local police officers, and various other law enforcement did arrive. Most had riot control gear and proceeded to form a riot line that flushed the crowd to the northwest, away from the stage located at the eastern end of the airfield. Some reports state that few of the crowd offered strong resistance and they dispersed back towards the campground and out the main entrance. Others claim that the riot line allowed the concert goers to tire themselves out in the campground area and the fires were not contained until well after sunrise. Insanity. Yeah, because the riot line was just there to like basically let the, instead of like, you know, trying to get everything under control, get people out. They were just going to let them wear themselves out. Yeah, which, okay, yeah. Reports suggest that 42 to 44 people were arrested over the course of the festival. Ten state troopers and two state police supervisors were were demoted or suspended for their behavior at the festival. Um, A supervisor of two state troopers who had posed with naked female attendees was suspended. And a New York State prison guard was a charged was charged with sodomizing a fifteen year old girl during the riots. Mm. 
253 people have been treated at area hospitals, and the number of people treated on site is between 4,000 and 4,500, yet Dr. Richard Caskew, one of the area doctors who worked in the medical tent, says that he was told that the numbers were between 8,000 to 10,000 that were treated on site. Shortly after, the New York State Department of Health reported 5,162 medical cases related to the festival. Jesus. Police investigated four instances of instances of rape that occurred during the concert. After the concert, members of the National Organization for Women gathered outside the New York offices of one of the promoters to protest the sexual violence against women which had occurred. Several lawsuits by concertgoers against the promoters for dehydration and distress were announced in October of 2000. A woman sued Oneida County and Michael Lang for personal injury over sexual assault at the festival. Did she win? I don't know. Hmm. Probably, Probably not. not. Yeah. If it's... Which is horrible. Because that's the way our... Yeah. You know. Government and law enforcement works, but... <sighs> It took three weeks to clean up the site after the festival. Organizers spent an estimated 78000 resodding the grounds in the stage and mosh pit areas. And then following the event, San Francisco Examiner journalist Jane Ganahl cast doubt on the ability to promote another high-profile Woodstock concert and described the event as the day the music died. Yeah. One of the most wild things about watching that documentary, though, is uh, the, the organizers and the people who, like, founded it doing press conferences while yes. it was and going like, to interviews, shit. Like it, they were do- and then like their interviewers af- their interviews after like for the documentary like basically acting like they didn't do anything wrong. I was like are you fucking kidding me? That was wild too, but it was so wild to see them doing like press conferences during it yeah. where they were like, "Yeah, I think we'll do this again another year." And then it like cuts to everything burning on fire and he's like yeah, we'll do it again. We have the mayor's support and all this. And it was just bizarre how, like, these men were like, this is fine. Yeah. We did nothing wrong. And I love how, like, Alanis Morissette came out during her set and was like, okay, like, y'all, we're going to calm down. Like, yeah. Like, it's peaceful. And then fucking Lynn Biscuit gets up there and they're like, hey, she said to calm down. Just don't be mean to each other, but fucking go ham. And I'm like. I'm like, I get that you want it to be like, you know, rock and roll and you want it to be like a mosh pit and like you want it to have the rock and roll vibes. But when it's already like that, you need to be discouraging the crowd. Yeah. And then it's like, I, I spent a minute, I can't really remember, but I think during the Chili Pepper set, when everything was burning, they were putting, the people of the festival were putting pressure on the Red Hot Chili Peppers to like, hey, get the crowd to calm down. Like, you need to go out there and be like, hey, let's not set things on fire. And I was like, well, you can't put that on them. They literally had nothing to do with this. Mm -hmm. And two, like, I think they tried. They are like, hey, let's not. And then the crowd just didn't care. Yeah, no. And then, like, the promoters were getting mad at the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I was like, this is not their fucking doing. They didn't price water at, like, $18,000. What are you doing? That was just bizarre how they were just trying to twist it Mm -hmm. any way they could. It was like, as long as, like... I will, like, Astroworld. Fucking, it was all Travis's Scott, Travis Scott's fault what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, like, Truly. with Woodstock 99, do I think Lip Biscuit should have gone up there and been like, hey, y'all, like, let's fucking party, like, let's, probably not, but if he had, if, you know, Lip Biscuit had been like, hey, y'all, like, let's not, like, tear things apart, don't break yeah. things, don't hurt each other, like, you know, let's try to kind of keep it calm, but still keep it fun. And then if they didn't listen, I'm like, that's fine. Like, yeah. they did everything they could. Like, with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Like, they were like, hey, like, let's not set things on fire. But people didn't listen. That's not their fault. Now, if they had been up there being like, set everything on fire, yeah. I would be like. It's a different story. <laughs> different story. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a wild. But there are, there are, like, a lot of articles and stuff that will try and paint the people performing as, like, the bad guys in Woodstock 99. I'm like, really? Yeah. Like, Flea was up there being like, hey, y'all, don't sexually harass this woman. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely not fun. No. In a different different way from how (laughs) mine was not fun, yes. Um, Don't you, aren't you glad you listened to us? (laughs) That was random. We went from mummy cannibalism to Woodstock 99. Yeah. 
It's also completely random from last time, because last time we talked about, like, mermaids and the multiverse theory, <laughs> and now we're like, here are these horrible things that happened. Yeah, um, you can't get content like this on other podcasts. <laughs> Anywhere right, else. Come on. <laughs> you love it. You love us. Hopefully. <laughs> Except for that one person on YouTube. They don't love us. <laughs> Still don't know what happened to them. Our one hater. It's great. Well, I guess we should spin. Spin. We got our other newest category, <laughs> which is kind of funny, back to back. But we got internet. Ooh. Which last time we did like Reddit, Am I the Assholes, and BuzzFeed quizzes that made Skylar cry. <laughs> so it was a fun one. Yeah. I was like, it was a lot of fun. I literally laughed so hard that I started crying. <laughs> and if there's one way I'm going to cry, it's because I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So what do we do? We get to drink something nice? We do. We also got a drink we like again. Okay. I mean, I don't hate that. No, definitely not. Okay. So we get to do internet and a drink we like. Hell yeah. Can't hate that. It'll be fun. It will be. If you would like to find the podcast, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, at Sip and Spin Pod. And if you would like to email us about like, you know... If you want, like, a different topic to go on the wheel, or if you have suggestions for, like, something to do within the topic, like, if we get psychology and you want us to talk about, like, this thing about psychology, like, you know, just email us at sipandspinpod at gmail.com. If you'd like to find Brittany, her ats are Whimsy Dream or Whimsy Dreams. And then if you'd like to find me, all of my social media is GleamYKS. But as always, we do have all three link trees for the show, myself and for Brittany, down in the description below. Yes, and you should like and subscribe to us on YouTube because we've been having a lot of fun over there. We have. So, <laughs> just come join us, won't you? And also, Please. if you like video games, let us know what video games to play. Yeah. You can also slide those into our DMs. Because we play quite the variety, I gotta say. It's we been really interesting. <laughs> I have nothing else to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening uh, to us be random this week. Join us next week for internet. Very random. <laughs> I have a feeling internet will also be random. But, Probably. Uh, yeah. We'll sip with you then. Bye. <laughs>